1: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. You
0: know the difference between hockey and those other sports? You gotta be tough to be a hockey
1: player. I idolized Dominic Kasich. I played goalie because of Dominic Kasich. My life in hockey has been
0: Now I'll tell you something about this guy. This is only three minutes, eh? Whammo!
2: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 49 of Two Goalies One Mike. I'm Johnny Cullen, joined alongside Dwayne Steinell, as always. And Dwayne, we have a very special guest today. Uh joining us is is Peter Baugh from um the Athletic. He he covers the avalanche there, does a great job and what a fun team to cover. Um I I've definitely kind of fell in love with with certain aspects. I love McKinnon, love Cal McCarr, love what Sackick and company are doing there. So uh Peter, really appreciate you
1: being on here, man. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, Peter. Uh you
3: know it's it was really nice of you to, to hop on with us, uh, especially in such a timely matter. After I reached out to you, we got this, uh, we got this done pretty quickly and I, I can't, I can't stress enough. I'll piggyback off what uh, Cully said, you know, the avalanche I've been saying for a while, they've kind of developed the blueprint of how you want to build a franchise, how you want to build a hockey team. It took a little bit to get there, but now they're one of the most dominant teams in hockey and have been for two years now. And, you know, I, I coming from a team in Buffalo who's taken such a long time to kind of figure it out, and now I feel like we're kind of on the cusp of getting to where we want to go, or at least in the right direction, finally, you know, I, I, I look at you guys and I, I, I say, like, that's where we want to be and that's how we want to do it. They did it through the draft, it, you know, and Joe Sack has done a phenomenal job building that team. Um, you know, and I always thought it was kind of cool too to see Saka kind of go back home to, to to Colorado. You have Iserman go from Tampa Bay to Detroit. Those yeah. two, the two captains, back in the heydays in the '90s, when the rivalry between Colorado and Detroit was so good and so phenomenal to watch. It was it was can't miss hockey, and uh, you know it's so cool to see both those guys at the helm of those respected franchises.
1: Yeah, it it is cool. It's yeah, kind of like. They were their leaders of their team back then. And now are the leaders of the team in a different way now. And and both are, I mean, I think Iserman, it's obviously it's a slow process, but he seems to have been off to an okay start and has made some good moves there. And then Sackick obviously has really built this team both through the draft, like you said, with most of their key players, but then also kind of making some, some smart moves around the edges to kind of shore up different things on the roster. Well, one
2: point that I look at is, is me and Dwayne talk about all the time, Peter, how, Buffalo, you need to hit on your first round picks, right? And, you know, here and there, you're going to miss on one, but to consistently get guys, even if they're not star players, being able to have guys in your lineup, you look at the Sabres and they've had an awful track record, not only missing on a lot of first round picks, but also never really capitalizing on, on a second, a third, a fourth, you know, hoping to get one other guy to be a, you know, an NHL regular. Um, But then you, you look at Colorado's draft history, man, and it's a thing of beauty, Um, even, even just recently, uh, with, with the past few years with, with Cal McCarr and Byram, um, you know, is, is there a secret to success and what, what they're, what they're doing with their draft or is it best player available? I just, I'm fascinated on how I know there's an element of of luck to it because you don't know how much, you know, each player is going to develop, but you have to think that there's, there's a lot that goes into that process that Sackick and company have done a really, really good job of.
1: Yeah, I think it's, it definitely comes down to like good evaluation of players. And then I guess bringing them into the system at the right time. Kale McCarr spent two years at, at UMass Amherst and, and then came over when he felt he was ready and immediately was an impact player in the playoffs that year. Um, so it's kind of, I guess, like they're pretty good about knowing the timing of when guys should come over, even though I think they maybe would have been okay with Kale coming over sooner, but clearly it was good for his development to go to another year at Amherst um and, and then you've got yeah just like good talent evaluation and some of it is like Nathan McKinnon was clearly going to be the number one pick the year he was in the draft but some of it is is a little more I guess like just finding finding good players I mean they picked Byram as the first defenseman in the in the 2019 draft and that looks like a pretty smart selection um they that Rantanen is a high pick if you go back Landis guy that's before Sackick but like they've got, like you said, they've hit on first round picks and then they've made good trades to kind of supplement, supplement those people in the lineup. I
3: love this when they brought in Kadri. I thought Kadri was a great move on Colorado's part. You know, he's a gritty forward, knows how to get to the dirty areas, can draw penalties and score goals.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You look at their whole second line and it's kind of an interesting, like their first line are three guys that they drafted all really high in the first round. Then the second line is all guys they've traded for, Saad, who's, who got off to a bit of a slow start this year, but has been really good the past few games. Um, Kadri, and then Andre Burakovsky, who they got from Washington, won a Stanley Cup there and is a, has turned into a really good player in Colorado. So it's kind of a good mix of, of people they've developed and people that they've brought in from elsewhere.
2: So uh, another thing, you, you look at the, the success that Colorado's had, obviously not able to get over the hump, but I like the analogy that Dwayne used as, using how the avalanche, you know, came up from obscurity into being in in the conversation um, as we get into, you know, conference finals. Obviously, a very tough overtime loss in game seven. Uh, I think it was in the second round this past year. Um, but you, you, when you factor in everything that happened, you guys were on your third goalie. Um, and I think Hutchinson played admirably, but obviously with Frank, Francois, Franco going down and Grubauer going down, I mean, that's tough for any team to lose their starter to lose both have to rely on, on somebody that has limited NHL experience. I mean, they were that close and, and to lose to the eventual Stanley C- or Stanley cup runner up, um, it, it's tough. Um, but I think that, you know, it's just a testament to the depth. Um, but you also, you know, that injury bug that, that, Killed you guys last playoffs. You're starting to see some of that now. Obviously, the timing for any injury is, is not ideal, but you'd rather have it now than at the end of the year. Um, you know, what, what, what can we expect from this team that's battling that injury bug? And uh, in particular, any word yet on Nathan McKinnon and how long he'll be out?
1: So no word, no word yet on McKinnon. I've been kind of following up with people. I'm sure they're still kind of evaluating some things, but pretty much that was an interesting situation where last night... He was, he looked fine. He looked fine. He, there's no, like, there was no indication that he was hurt. And then he just wasn't out for the, for the third period. And I asked Bednar after the game, I was like, did you have any sense? Like, did, was there a specific play? And he was like, honestly, no. Like he just, he, he wasn't, they, they said he wasn't available in the going into the third. Um, So obviously that kind of overshadowed everything that happened in the game last night which ended up being a pretty exciting game. It was an overtime. They, the abs lost in overtime. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of an interesting thing where, I mean, obviously like Lana Scott said, like if you're going to get the injury bug, it's better to have it now than in the playoffs, but you really don't want to miss Nathan McKinnon for an oh. extended period of time. Um, and they're, they're already missing. Devon Tays has been great this year on a first pairing with Kale McCarran. He's out. So many
3: um, good defensemen. It's so done. so young. So yeah,
1: I mean, they, they kind of, it's, they, they lose Taze, but then they still have like a top four of like Byram, McCarr, Gerard, Graves, like just good players up and down kind of. And Gerard's been awesome this year. Um, but yeah, so no. And some of the injuries, it's just like kind of bad luck type thing. I know people have been complaining to me about the training center. Like, is the training staff, like, is something wrong there? And it's like, Well, the training staff can't prevent a puck going off of Devon's foot or a guy falling into Pierre Belmar's knee, like those are just kind of things that sadly sometimes happen in hockey. And I mean, especially in a season with a shortened camp or maybe guys are a little like clumsier than normal and stuff like that, like you're going to get some, some injuries. So it's, it's kind of unclear the duration of how long these people will be out Um, but I'm I'm hoping that we'll be able to kind of get more of a sense as the team gets more of a sense as they go through evaluations these next few days
3: I hate I hate how they place blame in areas like that too like oh the training staff like if it's like constant muscle pulls or like you know players just seem kind of like out of shape yeah that's that's a time to kind of blame your training staff but again you can't control you know an errant puck hitting somebody in the ribs or in the face or somebody getting hit awkwardly. That's just, that's just like a lazy, a lazy question, lazy way of writing in my opinion. Like, no, use common sense. That's not the training staff. That's just, just that's just the game of hockey. That's how it goes sometimes.
1: Yeah. And I think some of it is like lingering, uh, I guess frustration about the playoffs last year. Cause it was, they were missing the two goalies in the, in the uh, against the stars in game seven, but they were also missing Lanneskog and Calvert and Don Scoy. like they were down seven players. Against yep. the Stars, which is pretty wild. And they made it to overtime. Um, so, yeah, it, it definitely is like a, it's an interesting injury history. And I guess something definitely to monitor. But, but yeah, I think it's, it's, you got to kind of have look at the injuries that happen. And if they are more like fluke things, like, like Belmar, it was a guy slipped on his skates and fell into his knee. Like, that's not, not much you can do about
2: it. That one was a scary one, too, because it, like, was that him that was yelling as he fell?
1: Yeah. And it was tight. The arena was empty, so that was like
2: oh yeah, it just little- magnifies it, right?
1: Yeah, it's a little jarring. Um, but apparently, he actually is making good progress. That's what Bednar said. Like he was like, "It's definitely not a, like he's not going to be playing in the next two days or anything like that." But yeah, it-
2: but when when I read that too, I was thinking, you know, ACL, MCL, PCL, something like that. But hearing Bedner's comment, like you were alluding to, that makes you feel like it's got to be maybe more of a contusion type thing
1: that. Is day to day
2: yeah. or week to week, not, you know, surgery. So.
1: And, and who knows, maybe he's just kind of putting a good face on it, but it, it definitely was, I guess, a little encouraging to hear that maybe it's not as, as bad as it looked. Cause when I saw that, I was like, Oh gosh, that does not look good.
2: Well, like you mentioned, um, devonte's you know, he, he came in and, and played spectacularly with, with Cal McCarr, one of the best, if not the best D pair, I think to start the year, um, and, and it speaks to your depth that the Byron was able to step in right away. Um, but, you know, some interesting moves and, and some good moves that we're seeing paying off. Um, who was it? Ian Cole getting shipped out. Like was I'm trying to feel for the dynamic of that locker room. You know, obviously he was a big piece, even if he wasn't playing a lot and being a veteran with that group. Uh, what was the feeling like around the team when that trade was made? Or is it kind of these young guys know that, you know, this is our time, you know, we're going to get better and better.
1: Yeah, I mean, the Avs have had to make moves before to, I guess, better the team, maybe at, at the risk of, like, losing a guy who's valuable in the locker room. I think Ian Cole had a lot of respect in the locker room. He's won two Stanley Cups. Uh, really nice guy, really smart guy, and a good player. Um, but the fact is they needed some some cap room, and he was making $4.25 million and they wanted to get Byram a chance, it looks like. Um, they didn't explicitly say that, but clearly, like, he's now in the lineup and they, they I like Byron a line. plan. yeah. So yeah. I, I think people, it's one of those things where people were sad, um, but they kind of understood like, yeah, this is kind of sometimes how it goes. If you're trying to win, like winning isn't, isn't always pleasant. Like you got to make some sacrifices along the way. Now with
3: uh, Pavel Francois being, uh, being out, you know, there's no really timetable, you know, that's been made for his return with his lower body injury. Your, uh, your backup option right now is Hunter Miska. Uh, is that Miska, right? Miska, Miska yeah. Miska, yeah. You know, obviously, he's only he's been seen in two games. He's got one loss. Uh, you know, what, what's the story on him? Because Philip Grubauer is your workhorse. He's your thoroughbred. He's having a phenomenal season so far. Uh 930, save percentage, 1.75 goals against. You know, as goalies here, you know, we like to try and have some type of focus on the goaltending. But uh, you know, is Grubauer the guy if this if this Francois injury is long term? Is he the guy that can really you know take the wheel of this this car and just go with it and just straight straight through to the to the playoffs? And is Miska like the type? I I, I honestly, God, I have no idea who he is. He Was uh,
2: University of Minnesota Duluth's
3: goalie Dwayne? He was, was okay. Is he the type of guy that can fill in admirably as a backup?
1: Yeah, I don't know if he's necessarily. Someone who you want being your number two in the playoffs necessarily, but I think he's definitely shown, I mean, an ability to be good enough to like get by until Franco is back. And then if Franco is out long term, like then maybe there's some some decisions that the the abs will have to make. But I think Miska's okay. Like he didn't play badly last night. I mean, he gave up three regulation goals. He his save percentage was over nine going into overtime, and then he gave up the the fourth goal to put it at like 880 or whatever, but like he, he seemed okay. He seemed moderately comfortable. And like, if the avalanche are fully healthy, like you, you kind of expect, like if a goalie, if your backup goalie is going to give up like three goals a game, if the avalanche are fully healthy, it's like that ideally is something that they can beat, you know? So I think he's, he's okay. He's not like, I think it's probably like an interesting question of if you want him as your long-term backup but i think that for now it's i i don't think that they're going to make a trade in the super imminent future i think they're probably content with riding grubauer playing misca a bit and then seeing how long Franco's out and they said that they might have a better idea of Franco's timetable earlier early this week
3: that's good to hear I, like i said i'm a big fan of colorado out west um uh, it, it was disappointing for me. I had them picked as my horse to win the whole thing last season. Then obviously you guys got hit with that injury bug, you know, at the worst time possible. And, you know, I would hate to see you guys have to go through what you went through again this year is what you went through last year, uh, especially in a shortened season. You know? Uh, you know, I'm an advocate, you know, here in Buffalo, we, our goaltending situation isn't very ideal. We have Carter Hutton as our backup and he has been, you know, less than reliable. Uh, to really win you games when you need them. And we started him yesterday. And granted, I won't put the game on him, but, you know, he let in some questionable goals. And Olmark's not an absolute heater lately and been playing very well. And, you know, in a situation where all your games are divisional games and every point, every single point counts, you want to at least always make sure you get one point out of some of these games. Especially it's the Devils. And, you know, he's not the, he's the type of guy that always will always, he, he won't make the timely save for you. You know, when you need, when you need a save, he isn't the guy to make it. And, uh, you know, we we could really use a better backup goaltender here. And in an off season where there were so many goalies available, we always question, uh, you know, for the good moves Kevin Adams made as a a new GM, we always question why he didn't, you know, address that glaring issue in the off season. So, you know, I would hate to see you guys suffer from the goalie injury bug again, because, you know, you guys have such a stat team. And again, I call you guys the blueprint. You you guys really are... you, you guys kind of went off the model almost as building through the draft the same way Boston used to, um, you know, Chicago and even Tampa Bay, you you guys have so much, such a bright future. And I'm so happy, like, so like ready to see what's in store for the Colorado Avalanche here in the years to come, because you guys play a very exciting hockey.
1: Yeah. It's a, I feel lucky to, I mean, it's a fun team to cover, like just to see, I mean, being able to, to see Nathan McKinnon skate every, every few days. Yeah, so is a, That's
2: worth it right there alone.
1: Yeah. It's a, it's a nice, it's a nice thing. And Kale McCarr is pretty, pretty fun to watch too. So it's, it's been, it's been fun, um, on the ads beat and we'll see kind of where it, where it carries us. Like, uh, as, as a writer, it's like, you just kind of root for good stories and there's a lot of good stories around the team and yeah, it's fun.
2: So Is it one different? quick question I had. Uh sorry, Dwayne. Um Fun. really interesting, you know, split to start the season against the Blues. You obviously lose that first one, then come back with the eight-nothing thrashing. Um, you mentioned it in your article um about how the uh the rink uh the rink music guy was playing some interesting songs and how when you beat the sharks, playing baby shark and whatnot. <laughs> uh, just looking at your schedule, so you know, like Dwayne mentioned, really interesting to see, almost more like a college schedule with playing these home and homes or, or two games against the same opponent. Yeah. split against the avalanche you split against the Kings um, you split against the ducks. Um, Then you, you sweep the sharks. But like you, my, my question is, is more towards, you know, we're seeing the start of this four game stretch against the single team with the wild. And you have another one coming ag- against the golden Knights in February, which to me looks like, at that point, if both of those teams can continue, depending how, you know, Colorado does with this wild, these last two games, that could really make a dent in your schedule one way or the other, right? Totally. Like you come in and you can really leapfrog. That's eight points. And you have the possibility if you win them all in regulation and not give them any one thing that me and Dwayne were talking about is just how many games in division are going to overtime and how much that hurts you this year. All right. Like in a normal season, I know you're battling against more teams for the playoffs, but I think it's just fascinating to me to just see how these four game sets or two game sets, we'll see these big jumps in the standings. Uh, But in in your mind with the teams that you've seen so far, the standings really tell the the, the full story of who's, who's the at the top of the class for, for this, this West division.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that it's, it's kind of their three top tier teams um, with the, the Abs, Knights, and Blues, and then I think it'll be kind of, it'll wind up being a a fight for that for that fourth spot. So right now, I think that, um, I mean, I haven't seen the Knights play in person yet, but I'm excited um, to that see should that. Should
2: be a fun week of hockey. Event. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah,
1: it'll be cool. Um, so yeah, I, I think that I think right now it's it's still pretty early. I think, but I think that if the season ended today, the four playoff teams would be the Knights, Blues. Wild and abs, and that that feels about right. Um, so that's we'll kind of
3: exciting hockey right there, man. Like, just thinking about that gets me excited,
1: yeah, yeah. So, we'll see if I mean, I think it might be a bit of a fight for the third spot, and then like you obviously want to have the first spot so that you're not playing against the I mean, if the abs are the two seed, though, they'd probably have to play the blues or the knights. You in the got, first
2: You spot. got to imagine it's going to be those three at the top, so you're right, that first seed becomes you know huge because then you, then you're playing, you know, whether it's the wild or, or the, the oats or the cane, you know, whoever falls into that spot, I think we can safely say it won't be the sharks. Um, But you're right. That that's a huge advantage to have. Uh, But boy, man, whoever comes out of there, that, like you said, that's going to be some fun hockey Dwayne.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And, and you and you know what, man, Um, judging how the Sabres season goes, if you know, if it doesn't go to, you know, according to plan and Jack decides he wants out, I'm officially a free agent uh, fan wise, and I'm looking for a new team. In well, Colorado, right. Colorado's is definitely on my radar. If they want to sign me, Dwayne, the rant guy from Buffalo, he's on, he might be on the market. Cause Dwayne, I, if, if
2: you move, if Peter, if Dwayne moves his head to his right, you'll see a beautiful Colorado Jersey there in the back.
3: Yeah. The second best Jersey on that wall. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, you know, I guess, like I said, man, if, If if your if your franchise loses both Jack Eichel and Ryan O'Reilly in like a four or five year period, you have no business to even you you know what I mean. I I I want nothing to do with let's not
2: demand just thinking about that scares the hell out of me.
3: Yeah, I don't want anything to do with it. Like I just like you you, you just need to burn the whole thing to the ground. (laughs) So so I
2: want to the the ground, Peter. Um, is is with Fran Francois's injury, is is that long-term injured reserve?
1: It's, he's just on injured reserve right now, um, and they they think they're probably going to have more of an update early this week. Um, but no, no, like real updates right now. Awesome. Yeah.
3: Well, you know we appreciate your time here, Peter. Um, I hope we get to have you on again soon. Uh, like I said, we we me and me and Cully talk often about the ABS uh, and how yeah. good they look just all around, just top fun the team to watch,
1: man.
3: They really are, and you know we appreciate uh, you coming on with us, and hope we can have you on again sometime soon.
1: Yeah, reach out whenever. I appreciate you having me.
3: Absolutely. So
2: fans, if you haven't already, uh be sure to check out Peter's work on the Athletic. Uh he he's the he covers the Avalanche for them. Does a great job. Uh really interesting piece, you know, and I love your mailbag feature. You do a great job interacting and really delving in into the fans' questions instead of glossing over them like some uh staff letters do. So, um great job on that. Keep up the good stuff and yeah, I mean, hey, only in a perfect world can can we talk again with uh, the only possible meeting between the Sabers and the Aves this year would be a Stanley Cup. So fingers crossed for that. I, I think that it's more likely that we'll be picking your brain about Colorado playing in that in that uh, final series against uh, some other Eastern team. But one can only <laughs> dream, right, Dwayne?
3: Absolutely, man. Like, I'll I'll tell you I'll tell you right now if if Buffalo finds a way to, to make it to the Stanley cup finals, and it does happen to be against the Colorado avalanche, I will absolutely shave an avalanche logo into my chest. Cause that's how much faith I have in this franchise right now to make. <laughs> yes, it, to make it yes, I love it. Right to the chest. I don't even care.
2: Oh, I love it. Well, Hey, thanks again, Peter. That'll do it for part one of episode 49. Uh, here's a word, quick word from our sponsors. We'll be back after the break.
3: Hey everybody, this is Dwayne from Two Goalies One Mike here to remind you that before any Sabres game this season, get down to 700 Military Road in Buffalo, New York to Froth Brewing Company and pick up a four-pack of liquid lollipop. Guys, this stuff is to die for. I'm not much of a drinker myself, but I always make sure to have some liquid lollipop on tap. This past Sabres game, I was drinking my favorite flavor, the mango orange fluff. It is absolutely to die for, but they have so many different flavors on tap at all times. And be sure to always be checking their social media accounts for new liquid lollipop alerts. They call it a lollipop alert. So on Instagram, you can find them at Froth Brewing. That's all one word, at F-R-O-T-H-B-R-E-W-I-N-G. And on Facebook, Froth Brewing Co. That's F-R-O-T-H-B-R-E-W-I-N-G, Co, C-O. Guys, again, I can't stress it enough. This stuff is a smoothie in a can with a little bit of an alcoholic kick. 6.5% alcohol content. Again, unbelievable. I can't stress it enough. My favorite drink to have during, honestly, any sporting event. Get down there. 700 Military Road, Buffalo, New York. Froth Brewing Company, and enjoy the rest of the episode.
2: Welcome back to episode 49, part two of Two Goalies, One Mike. I'm Johnny Cullen, joined alongside Dwayne Stanel. as always. We have a very special guest, uh, you know, a back-to-back of some great, great athletic writers. Um, Rob Rossi, senior writer for The Athletic covering the Pittsburgh Penguins, has been on the NHL beat for a long time, very respected in his field. Uh, Bob, we're really pleased to have you on here, man. Thanks for joining us.
0: Thank you. Yeah, I'm an old man now, so I feel like once you've gone through, like, multiple coaching and GM
3: searches, you've, like, sort of
0: crossed that Rubicon.
3: He's got absolute Hall of Fame uh, hair-beard combo, too. I love that. Hey, look good, feel good, write good.
0: good. Right, yeah. Well, I don't know if I'm looking good, feeling good, or writing good, but I uh... (laughs) – One, we'll take one out of the three. I certainly don't lack for topics right now, I'll say that. No, definitely not.
2: Well, you you mentioned in, in, in that little intro that, um, you know, you go through a lot of coaches and
0: GMs, but I think we might have you beat here with the turnover that the Sabres have gone through. Oh, yeah. No, actually, honestly, in Pittsburgh, they haven't. I was trying to think of it the other day. So I started covering the team when Ed Olchek was coach, and then Mike Tarion took over. So really, they've been pretty stable um, uh, yeah, other than the Mike, other than the disaster that was the Mike Johnston uh, debacle, uh, and they've only had three GMs here since 1989, so this is this is pretty new. Um, uh, usually a GM, and even here, like you guys go through what a GM every 10 minutes here, like it's
3: an average of every 10 years. So yeah, I mean, no. about a year and a half is our turnover. You know, well, I think it's four GMs and five coaches, or just the opposite, five. No, I think it's four and four. Like uh, since since the Pagoulas bought the team. They started. They started with Ruff, went to Nolan, then went to Bilesma, and then who was after Bilesma? Uh, Phil Housley, Housley. And now, yeah, five, five, five coaches. Yeah, you did Ruff, Ted, uh, Bilesma, Housley, and yeah, five, five, five coaches. Four GMs.
0: Yeah,
3: but Lindy was there forever, so this was like a shock to you guys. Like, yeah, I mean, it, for Lindy, it was you know, it was a shock, but the team was just really floundering yeah. at the time. I mean, it was like a long time. And then now it's just been oh yeah
0: funny too. Cause you guys have no idea of knowing this, but one of the things I tell young writers here all the time, uh, or when young, younger writers or new writers, when they join the beat it's like certain things. And I always, uh, usually on first trip to Buffalo, it's one of my favorite cities and I always, people ask me like, what you? I was like, that's a great, it's a great town. It's just cold. Um, but I, I say, uh, Stanley Cup champion Buffalo Sabers has a great ring to it, and they're like, "What do you mean?" I'm like, "It's the greatest hockey city in America." They just haven't had a team that has won. I said, "But like, no, no city's more deserving of the Stanley Cup to me than than Buffalo." So hopefully, uh, I great. live to see it. So well, we appreciate that. Really One good. thing yeah. not caused me, not enough, but hopefully, so.
2: Well. The one thing that um, I realized, I coached uh, the junior Pittsburgh Vengeance last year um, over there right off the highway um, in Harmerville. Mm-hmm. And in my time in Pittsburgh, there's a lot of local kids on the team. Pittsburgh does a really good job, just like Buffalo, about following their hockey team. Yes, they're passionate about the Steelers. I know the Pirates have been garbage, but I, never, I knew Pittsburgh had a good hockey following. I didn't know how widespread it was. They love their Penguins. Obviously, that has to do with some
0: recent success. But was it always like that? Uh, well, look, it's been, um, I would say, you know, certainly since 1984, um, you know, the funny, the history of it is, is funny is, is, uh, the expansion team was going to go to Buffalo, uh, in 67. I don't know if you guys know that. And, um, I wrote about this for the athletic, uh, they thought they, you know, they thought Buffalo was going to be part of the expansion six and a Penguins ownership group or a guy that wanted to the Penguins founder basically knew Buffalo was his competition. So he, um, he had gotten a call from at the time, Art Rooney, the hall of fame Steelers owner, Uh uh, Art Rooney said, Hey, look, I can't invest in the team, but anything you need. And he said, well, actually what I need is for you to call uh, one of your buddies uh, because we need some arm twisting. And so (laughs) uh, Dan or Art Rooney called uh, one of his buddies in Chicago who talked to the Blackhawks owners who, uh, kind of arm twisted for behalf of the, the penguins, or what became the penguins so that, but then Buffalo got its team, what, three or four years later. So, um, yeah, Pittsburgh's always, I mean, people knock Pittsburgh because at the early two thousands, you know, the building wasn't full, but to be fair, ownership came out and had said, we're going to go to the bottom of the standings to try to get a lot of picks. Um, other than that, I mean, it's, it's, uh, You know, as I tell people, Pittsburgh and Buffalo, I think have been one and two in local hockey ratings for like the last decade. Yeah. um, No, nothing's ever going to be the Steelers here. Honestly, the Steelers are such a different beast because, you know, they're probably, they're certainly one of the three flagship franchises of that league. I mean, I've been in Moscow twice and I've seen a Steelers bar. Um, Yeah, I love it. But yeah, hockey here. And especially, I would say, in the past decade, hockey's – the fan base has gotten more intelligent. The kids – we have a lot of kids now that grow up and play hockey and yep. stay here and play and end up going to play in college, which was never happening before. So it's become a much better hockey town. But its it's been a great Penguins town for a long time now. They've been spoiled too. I mean, they've, they've had four of the greatest players. You
3: yeah, know. if you go from Mario and Yager to Crosby and Malkin, it's great. Yeah we haven't had that kind of like a uh, success, you know, back to back in Buffalo here, you know, nobody you go, has though. No. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I tell yeah, people like, it's
0: they're fair really fair. Do like, they're, we, we joke here is like Pittsburgh is Pittsburgh is in the NHL. What the Lakers are in um, the uh, NBA, except there's actually bodies of water in Pittsburgh as opposed to LA. Um, I love it. So we, I know you and Dwayne were chatting a little bit off the,
2: off the air about it and uh, you touched on it in your piece, but, some big news coming out of Pittsburgh. Obviously, Jim Rutherford's had a lot of success, uh, abruptly resigned there, you know, citing personal reasons, you know, Patrick Alvin stepping in, um, filling that interim role. Uh, what what can you tell our fans about, you know, what went down and how it went down?
0: Well, I mean, you know, uh, last, last Tuesday, so it was the day of the Penguins' seventh game, um, he and uh, CEO David Morehouse had a, uh, I guess they had a, I don't know if I would even call it heated. It was a discussion. I think Jim feels it was more uh, heated than it was. Anyway, it led to Jim feeling that he had to resign. Um, you know, it's my understanding that David was like, look, let's talk about this after the game. Now, you know, the caveat here is, Jim Rutherford on game days is traditionally pretty uh, tense. He doesn't talk to the media or usually anybody on game days. Um, Anyway, uh, they talked again after the game and Jim resigned again. And, you know, Dave was like, well, look, let's, you know, let's sleep on it. And, you know, the next morning they had a hard time getting in touch with Jim. When they finally did, he made it clear he was resigning. And uh, they were like, well, I guess we got to take you at this. So, kind of quickly unraveled from there. They were not expecting it. And people keep saying like, well, should they have seen this coming? If they would have saw this coming, they would have brought in a a more um, experienced assistant rather than putting poor Patrick Alvin in this, this situation where he went from, you know, doing a really good job, I think of sort of overseeing their scouting to, to now, you know, he was, he was basically the assistant GM for the, cost for the length of a coffee date and now he's the GM and they have no experience i was doing this research um before i hopped on with you guys i mean they just have no significant experience at the top of their hockey operations department right now compared to when jim rutherford came here they had jason Bottrell as associate gm tom fitzgerald and um uh bill Garrett as assistant gms and they brought in Jason Carmanos is like vice president of hockey operations. So, uh, it's, I mean, it's been a very, um, it's been a very chaotic week in Pittsburgh on and off the ice. Uh, but nobody saw this coming.
3: Yeah. It's, it was a huge surprise. I remember I was, um, you know, dri- driving somewhere to watch, watch, watch the Sabers game. Was it a Savers? I can't remember exactly I was driving somewhere Uh, when I got the, when I got the notification about the, him resigning and I was blown away, I'm like, wow, like that, that was really out of nowhere. Cause there was no lead up to anything. You didn't hear anything in the media about any, like, you know, any discrepancies within the organizations.
0: The only story in my time covering this team. And it's been, it's been a good bit where I, I can honestly say, like, I hadn't even like, you know, I like to pride myself on if I'm not breaking the news, I at least know it's coming. So I, you know, I'll be damned. I mean, I, will tell you this, this is how little, I knew it was coming. Uh, I wasn't, I wasn't in Boston. I had gone out for a walk that morning and um, I got back and I was talking with my colleague, Josh Yowie. We were talking about how they, uh, uh, they had played the night before in Boston and they lost in overtime, but they played a pretty good game. It was probably their best game of the season Um, they've been getting points, but they haven't been playing real well, but they played really well in a building they never win in anymore. And we were talking about how there might only be five healthy defensemen for practice. And um, I had sent Jim a text saying, Hey, I'm a left shot and a decent skater. I can probably give you like three shifts. You know, (laughs) I literally texted him like just going for some levity, you know? And uh, so I got a shower and yeah, I'm in the shower for what, like 10 minutes. I get out. And my phone has blown up. People from around the league calling me, uh, you know, or like sources calling me. Josh called me, my editor called me, one of our columnists called me. And I'm like, the hell did I like I'm the first thing I thought is, oh they just try Crosby? No, honestly, my first my I had this horrific thought that something had happened to Jim in a like really bad way, like. Oh my God! Like maybe you know, your first thoughts when you see your phone blow up like that is, I mean, it's sad. Like somebody died yeah some accident. Like there was, you know, um, oh my God. Yeah, and it'd be different if we haven't in Pittsburgh had an owner that came down with Hodgkins, have a defenseman that you know had a hole in his heart uh, and a stroke. Like, like there's been a lot of weird stuff. I mean, I've covered more cancer than I have almost any injury other than concussions. And so your first thought is, especially in this time with the pandemic, like, oh my God, what happened? And then I, you know, I get a hold of Josh, and he's like, "Did you see the news?" And I'm like, "My phone's blown up, so they this can't be about them signing Yannick Weber." And he goes, uh, "No, Jim retired," and I said, or resigned." And I said, "Are you sure?" And he goes, "It's on the Penguins' Twitter account." I said, "Are we sure they're not hacked?" That was my first question. Like, are we sure yeah, they're not he- hacked? 2021 for you. Yeah, so no, we didn't no, we didn't know this one was coming. Yeah. I'm not sure Jim knew it was coming. And in fact, he said, like, yeah, I didn't know a week ago. Like, okay, well, you know, he's been impulsive before. Usually so, it means trading people. Uh this time it was himself.
2: And he's so, a very if, if there's not a clear answer to this, I, I understand, but what you know, you said there was no inkling, no, no writing on the wall. From what I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, was it just him butting heads with with ownership and and with the president? Like, was there any specific thing that set this off? Um, Anything behind the the scenes that we might find out about later that you have an idea?
0: There was no trade um, uh, that was like, there was nothing where he had a deal worked out and ownership stepped in. Uh, There was nothing with uh, um, a contract situation. They had told him, like, we want to keep you. Uh, but we're not doing any contracts for any employees that don't involve players until uh, after the season, because we've not had the revenue where we can hire back all of our employees yet. So, uh, and again, I think really what it was, was I think Jim thought his autonomy was being questioned, but I don't get the impression that it really was. And I'll say, you know, When Ray Shiro was here towards the end of his run, the past, I would say, year and a half of his, the final year and a half, maybe even full two years of his run, he and David Morehouse were butting heads all the time. This wasn't the case. Um, And there's no indication based off anything Jim Rutherford has done in any of the recent off seasons that ownership was stepping in. In fact, you can really make a strong argument that ownership probably should have been stepping in and saying, hey, uh, Jim, um, why did... Why did the Penguins give up a first round pick plus all these other assets for Kasperi Kapanen when it was clearly a buyer's market, you know, and you jumped the gun on this, you know, Um, Hey Jim, did you need to get uh, Mike Matheson? Like why did you want another defenseman when PO Joseph's in the pipeline and he plays the same left side, like all these things, I think you could argue Jim probably should have had ownership questioning, but they didn't. Uh, And if he hadn't quit, he'd be here and probably be getting an extension this summer. So w- looking at the, uh, and, and for all our fans, check out um, Rob's work
2: on The Athletic, the, the article that, that went up this morning. Uh, it's an interesting group um, and that short list of candidates. Um, you know, I, obviously we're, we're a Kevin Weeks fan being a goalie podcast, me and Dwayne. Um, and, you know, his name has been mentioned and, and I, I'd love to see him get a job. Um, but the other one that, that raised my eyebrows was Ron Hextall. And that to me, as, as a, as a Philly guy, as a Philly goaltender, as a legend there, and as a former Philly GM, just to stoke that rivalry a little bit more, um, that would, I, to me, that would be great. Obviously you mentioned the irony here is not so long ago, Pittsburgh's management team was like a collection of all-stars with Billy Garen uh, and, and, and all these guys. So, um, anybody jump off the page at you or do you have a front runner right now? I know it's real early to tell um, who would you like to see named as the Pittsburgh GM? Uh, who would
0: I like to see uh, that, you know, who I'd like to see is probably the least talkative GM. Cause Jim was so talkative that for somebody like me, who's prides himself on sourcing <laughs> uh, it was really like leveling the playing field in a way I didn't like. So <laughs> I'd like a guy who doesn't talk. Um, you know, who I think is best fit for the job? Um, I think that the obvious candidate is Tom Fitzgerald.
3: Uh, I like that. He's the PM
0: in New Jersey, but he doesn't have a contract extension. He knows the organization. I think of the Botrell, Garen Fitzgerald, triumvirate. He's the one that I think the Penguins always felt and people around the league felt would be the best of the three. For And that doesn't mean any of the three weren't going to be good. And I don't know how you judge Jason – based off of what he inherited and all that up there. But my point is, is like, I think Fitz would be a guy that if, if they could get permission to talk to him, boy, he makes a lot of sense. He checks all their boxes because the GM here in Pittsburgh is really going to have a tough task. And that's why it would be tough for somebody like Weeks or a younger guy because people might think the Penguins window is closing, but ownership doesn't. And ownership's view is where you keep spending money And we still have these great players in Crosby, Malkin, and Latang, and we want to keep them, and we're going to keep them. So they want a GM that's going to be able to sort of do what Jim Rutherford did, is, you know, rebuild them quickly into a cup contender. But also, they don't have any interest in falling apart like the Kings and the Blackhawks did. They feel like they should be able to get a guy that can both improve the team at the NHL level without selling the future. And Jim certainly came from the school of just, you know, I don't care about the future. I'll sell whatever I can for pieces now. Um, and by the way, I don't know that that's the wrong approach to take when you have Sidney Crosby and getting Malkin because you only get those type of players in most cities, you know, once a hundred years. So Or Pittsburgh twice in a span yeah, of five years. Pittsburgh, yeah. <laughs> Connor McDavid, you know, asked for a trade to Pittsburgh in three years. We'll be like, oh yeah, that makes all sense. But, um, you know, so I think if they can't get Tom, uh, then it becomes interesting, right? Because you know, the short list was a lot of the names you hear, Chris Drury, um, Chris McFarlane, Scott Mellenby. Well, Mellenby said he doesn't, isn't going to interview. Drury's not going to be allowed to interview. I don't know if that's because he doesn't want the job or because the Rangers won't let him. I don't believe that uh, um, McFarland's going to interview. Uh, so I guess if you're asking me if it's not Tom Fitzgerald, the guy that's the most interesting candidate to me in terms of fit and potential and this is probably going to sound strange to people who remember his time in Toronto but to me John Ferguson Jr. has a lot of Mike Sullivan in him he was a young guy when he got his dream job it was very high profile didn't go like he wanted it to but since then he you know put his nose to the grindstone to use that cliche and really did well in a lot of sort of non-glamorous positions and I think now you know, 15 years later is probably a better candidate for it. And he had, he does have experience. So to me, that's a real interesting name, but I'd be lying to you if I told you I had a good feel for this because, you know, unlike the last time, the Penguins were completely caught off guard by this. So a lot of this I think is going to be, if they move quickly, they had a guy in mind and they were able to get him. And if they don't, I don't see the rush. And And, you know, I'll say this, well, I would have no problem with them hiring Patrick Alvin to to be the GM, provided they brought in somebody in a sort of executive of hockey operations role that has experience, because again, they're just so inexperienced with anybody that's, you know, as one person said to me, does anybody in the organization know how to file the paperwork for a trade? And I couldn't answer yes, because I don't know if that's the
3: case. I, uh, you know, th- th- actually, I was actually getting to that be- uh, a point here, because um, with an experience in that position, you kind of look at your roster, you're five, three and one, you're you you you're, you're having a, you're having a decent start to the season. One of the things that really sticks out to me, and obviously we're a goalie podcast is in that right yeah. now you have Casey DeSmith Smith and Tristan Jari, you guys, organization you know and you know jim especially put a lot of faith into tristan jari to be the guy to take over the net here there in pittsburgh you know when they when they you know parted ways with matt murray you know what you know how do you feel about that situation right now because you know like here in buffalo we we're having a really unstable situation in that and um with uh you know with you guys kind of having an, the same a similar situation at both your not so much at your at your one but at least your backup position you don't really know who 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 your who your 1A is you know how do you guys how do you specifically feel about what your situation right now is and that
0: well i mean i have i feel good because there's nothing better than than uh a good goaltending uh uh dynamic uh to really draw subs to a subscription site. So I feel great about it, but uh, (laughs) um, I thought going into the off season or going into the season that it was a real risk to, to bet as much as they were on Jari, not because I don't think he has talent, but you know, we're basing this off about 30 games last year. He does have immense talent, but there's a big difference between being the guy that sort of is better than the incumbent when the incumbent's struggling And there's no pressure on you than being the guy. And, you know, that was the transition he had to make. The other concern I had is every time Tristan Jari and Casey DeSmith have been on the same team, Casey DeSmith has been the better goalie than him. I don't know why that is. I know why. It's because
2: Casey DeSmith was my goalie partner for the (laughs) under-18 USA team. And, you know, we battled. I came out on top and it was definitely a mistake by the coaching staff. So I think that that is right. I'm
0: not saying Casey's a bad goalie at any stretch. Casey is one of the, he's one of those classic battle goalies, right? Um, Great
2: kid, too. Great kid. Great kid. I'm not,
0: I'm not even saying like it's a problem with Casey, but my concern was even if Casey is better than Tristan, it's not like Mike Sullivan's going to feel like an allegiance to, to Tristan Jari. I mean, this is a guy who, put Matt Murray when he was young in over Marc-Andre Fleury and put Tristan Jari in over Matt Murray. So like Mike Sullivan's like, Hey, whichever goalie plays, well, I'm going to play. But the problem is neither one of these guys have a whole lot of experience at the NHL level. I thought the Penguins made a glaring mistake when they didn't go out and try to get a veteran goalie, because to me, A, I think you're going to need more than two goalies this season, just the way the schedule goes. And what does it hurt to have a veteran? I mean, you never suffer from having a veteran that can come in and steady things, right? And you know the reason they didn't have a veteran goalie? Because Jim mismanaged the cap to such a significant degree. And I'm as guilty of this as anybody. We just normalized it in Pittsburgh because he kept doing things that you... They, they happen so often that it became tough to like point them out every time because it felt like, well, this is just what he does. A case in point um, he, he's paying uh Mike Matheson 4.8 million dollars, and they're um, they're also paying uh, now that's a trade they made, right? But they essentially were trying to trade, they should have been trying to trade Patrick Hornquist to get cap relief. And they ended up bringing cap money back, right? Um, look at Marcus Petterson, They're paying him $4 million this year. They didn't, with Marcus Pedersen or John Marino, opt for a bridge contract. They went straight into long-term deals with both of those players. And people might go, well, there'll be better deals at the end of those contracts. And I would go, when you've got the Pittsburgh Penguins roster and you got Crosby, Malkin, and Matang in their mid-30s, why do you care about five years Saving cash. Time is now. You need to save it now. You'd have been better off doing the bridge bills now. But, you know, Jim didn't think like that. So, you know, every one of those situations, Yusu Rikola, uh, a guy the coach has no use for, two years, 1.5 million AAV. You know, you have P.O. Joseph. What is gold in this league? Having guys on entry level deals or cheap early contracts that can contribute, right? P.O. Joseph looks like he's a top six player for the Penguins, and you have close to six million dollars in in Matheson and Ricola ahead of him on your depth chart when everybody's healthy. What could that six million have bought you? What could three million of that six million have bought Especially you this offseason? In this market, I mean, that could have got them Braden Um, you know, and it's not like they could have thrown wow. money at a backup or or I mean you know, because he would have come back to do it. They would have been in a position to maybe eat some of, uh you know, to ask Vegas to eat some of Mark Andre Fleury's contract to come mm, that back. Would
3: have been that one a. Like it came back in a heartbeat too.
0: Right. So like the problem is when you mismanage the cap and you're a cap team, every dime counts, let alone every million. And Jim didn't do a great job on that. And I think one of the reasons he stopped doing a great job on that is um, like you said, the guys that did a lot of that grunt work, Garen Fitzgerald, in the case of the cap bottrell they weren't here anymore the past three off seasons. Mm-hmm. That's how Brandon Tanev gets six years. That's how Jack Johnson gets a five-year deal and you buy him out. I mean, yes. it's just like, you kind of look at it and you go, well, Jim clearly doesn't care about the future but that's okay. Cause Jim ain't going anywhere. He's going to have this job for life. He'll clean it up. Well, and then he quits. So somebody else has to clean it up now. Oh my God. <laughs> that's yeah.
2: a good way of putting it, man. Yeah. I, it's I, fun to cover, you, I will tell you that. So looking at looking ahead to, you know, it's division realignment is, has been crazy to say the least. Um, looking ahead, um, to, to when the Buffalo Sabres and the Penguins meet, you know, obviously Dwayne said they're off to a hot start. They have the Rangers in town tonight. Um, you know, like what, what, what have you seen from them so far that, that you like, what it, their season outlook, you know, do you think that they're a top four team? Obviously, they're sitting there right now. Um, you know, but that tough start to the year with the Flyers series, but it seems like they bounced back. That Capitals two OT or OT and a shootout win; those are big points. But the one thing that I want to ask you, Rob, I mentioned this to Dwayne. Usually, you know, losing or winning a game in overtime and giving the other team an overtime point isn't as big of a deal. Um, but now, every overtime point you're given the losing
0: team is huge, right? So I usually root for everyone you're getting huge too. And I think that's like, I I think the, I look at it this way. Um, I expect the, the, what are we calling this division? The East? I'm sorry.
3: Mass mutual East division. Mass
0: (laughs) mutual. I think Buffalo, excuse me, Boston, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, Washington. And I, I'm, I, I still think the Islanders will get back into this. I think those five teams going into this season, I thought would probably finish within six points of one another. And one of them would miss. Um, I thought there was a chance that New Jersey and Buffalo would both be better than expected. Looks like that's the case. I thought there was a chance that the Rangers might step back a little. Now I don't, you know, I'm not saying that because it looks like it's happened. I'm just saying that's what I thought, Um, you know, the penguins, I'm a little higher on them if they're healthy than most because I think they got a lot of guys that can play good defensive hockey away from the puck uh, on the bottom six. And look, I just trust that eventually the guys with a pedigree of Crosby, Malkin, Zucker, Gensel are going to find their form, but they're down six of their top 12 defensemen organizationally right now. No organization can survive that. And it, none of it matters if their goaltending is going to be about like 900 save percentage. And to be honest, they would have to get up to that level because Jari's not been great. So you can't win in this league with, with sketchy goaltending, but the penguins toughest sub 900, especially. man, Right. But the penguins were a, the penguins toughest part of their schedule is wrapping up tonight. This, you know, they, they opened with a, brutal 10-game stretch. And I said going in, as long as they had 10 points after those 10 games, they were fine. That wasn't what they want, but they're fine. Well, they've already got 11. So if they get any type of result tonight, and especially if they get two, even if they give up one to the Rangers, they're at 13 points through 10 games, the toughest part of their schedule with injuries to six of their top 12 defensemen and goalies that haven't played that well. So I think you have to look at them and go, oh, they're probably in a better position than we thought. But again, I don't know how to judge this season because what we don't know is if you're like me and you believe everything is about matchups and that's why it's tough to ever really think a team's regular season and a team's playoffs are compatible because like take Tampa Bay two years ago, they were the best team in hockey. Everybody could see what a bad matchup Columbus was for Tampa right? doesn't mean we thought Columbus was going to sweep them, but everybody could see like that would be a tougher series than it should be based off their records. This season matchups mean more because of the way the series, you can get these two game series. And you know, the example I give for that is the Penguins got two games this week against New Jersey. There's a chance that given their defense right now, Jack Hughes comes in here and does ungodly, unspeakable things to them, right? There's a chance when they play the the uh, Sabers that if they're still banged up on D and their goaltending's not great, that top line of the Sabers just ruins them, right? So you can't really count like, oh, well, these were teams that have been bad in the past and they'll be bad now because the matchups going to make more. And so I think it's really hard early on to get a feel for any team right now because of that. And I know that sounds like sitting on the fence, but oh, no, I think it's. I also a great think that game. makes That's the season great. fascinating, and it's hope. It's why I hope. The NHL keeps the two-game series in some way going forward. Like, I'm not saying all two-game series, but even if, like, next year with 82 games, God willing, they have weekend series where it's, like, two games in a city, I just think those second games are so interesting. And well, they're, they're passionate. So You have that
2: that night before. A no, what's the best over. part of college hockey, right? Best part yeah. of college hockey is those back-to-backs and, yeah. and you're right. That second game, you feel the intensity and, and if having gone through that, like you just, you, 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 you feel that hate boiling inside you as a player. And, and it, if you lose, if you win, it's even more like, let's finish this off. Right. And it provides for good storylines too, because you, if you're, if you're playing, against a team, like you look at Pittsburgh, if they're playing uh, the Bruins or the Devils, like you mentioned, you can jump team real quick.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah, I hope hope they keep are the actually there's three things I hope they keep. I hope they keep some element of the series. I actually would love to see them do an all Canadian division and put the Kraken in that because I think it would be better for the Seattle's travel because I think people in the United States don't realize how hard it is to get to Seattle from anywhere like their closest home game is going to other than Vancouver is going to be three hours. Um, I mean, they're closer to Western Canada than they are anybody in the United States. Um, And I think having all the Canadian teams in one division, even if it was with Seattle, I just think that's better for the hockey in Canada. And I think you need to do right by Canadian television because that's such a big revenue uh, stream for the NHL. And the other thing I hope they keep um, and people probably disagree with me. I think reseeding the playoffs for the conference final is such a great idea because to me, What it allows for is if there are quote unquote upsets, then you get a more, you get a seeding more reflective of the tournament. And I just think when we see that this year, it's going to be weird, but I think it's going to be great. And I think it's going to be more representative of the uniqueness of the Stanley Cup postseason. And I think it should be harder for a team that might be like a bottom seed that somehow gets to the conference final. Their conference final should be harder than, you know, a team that might have to have the best record, but because they're in the West or whatever, play a more difficult opponent. So I'm, those are three things. I don't know where you Can guys... Can you that out. for me? I, 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 I thought I had a good understanding of it. So what's the difference this year with the reseeding conference finals? Can you explain that real quick? So, so because you're going to have the divisional format, what they will do is they'll seed it based off best records of the remaining teams. So if the North division has the best record uh, and the... West division has the fourth best record. It will be North versus West and then um, East versus, is it central? Is that how they're doing it? Yeah. Yeah. And so even if they, as of now, you know, it used to be you get through the divisional round and then you get to like the conference and it's like, you're playing whoever's in your conference on the other side. I kind of like this idea of reseeding because to me, again, how many times have we seen a conference final where at least one of the teams was sort of a uh, Cinderella, right? And I think like- You're probably getting best on best in this scenario. Yes, right. And I think the conference finals, usually the one part of the tournament that to me is a little bit of a letdown because you're coming out of those mostly uh, divisional round playoffs, right? To me, this gives you a chance. I think it does a lot of things that are interesting to me. One, it, it, it represents the playoffs better as I've mentioned too many times. It guarantees that Canada is going to have one team in the conference final if you keep a Canadian division and you assume the Kraken aren't the Vegas Knights. But most likely you're going to have a Canadian team in the conference final, which is good for revenue, good for Canadian television. Also guarantees you're going to have an American team in the Stanley Cup final, which is must have because what we haven't had to deal with in America yet is a television final in recent times that involves like Toronto and Edmonton, right. Which would be sleepy time down South of the border. Right. Yep. So like this does all those things that I think make it really compelling. And I, I think the league should be very bold about these things because let's face it. Um, they got a chance to reset a lot of things here.
3: Yeah, very a great well. way of putting it. In. I never, I never really considered that. I, I, I like an, an idea of an all-Canadian division outside of the fact that I'm very anti-Toronto being a Buffalo Sabres <laughs> fan, and I love that rivalry. I think when you add the dynamic of, you know, Jack Eichel and Austin Matthews, you know, the possibilities yeah. of that rivalry being really renewed, that's the only thing I don't like. About, like, can it, it?
2: Let me see this. Oh, what well, if, sure, let's if go. They kept the divisions, let's go. Well, if they kept the divisions like they are, but you you still had inner like outer division. I, games. I
0: wouldn't do I wouldn't do all division play for eighty two. Yes. No, but no, I, no, I, no, like, no. You you play you know you play one game each against every other team. Uh, or one series each, basically. Would like. you
2: be open to like the Buffalo Toronto rivalry or the Pittsburgh Philly maybe getting more? Well, I know Pittsburgh Philly will be in the well, same division. I would say,
0: honestly, like I joked about Seattle, but maybe Buffalo is a better
3: fit. I they mean, we're right on the border. I mean, you know, you know,
0: the border. I wouldn't hate that. That'd be fun. That'd be fun matchups, man. I think, Buffalo, yeah. I mean, I think to me that, you know, that makes as much sense as any. Um, and you don't have to call it the Canadian division, you can call it the North. And yeah, I mean, I think you, you know, you would still get maybe, um, you know, the way I would do it if I were them is every year, if you did this, you'd commit to it for four years and you'd play two division. You'd play each team in uh, the other two, in, in two of the other divisions, once at home and once away, but you'd play twice at home and twice away against a new division each year. So if you're in the North right now, the first year, maybe you play the West four games if against each team. And then the next year, you play four games against the Central. And the year after that, you play four games against the East. Um, and then when you're not playing those, those other divisions, you're playing one game or two games each. And then the rest of the games are division games. And then I think it's like, oh, you get just enough. You get just enough to make it feel special, but not so much that you're like, oh, geez, I don't want to see these teams on a Thursday night in February. So... But I mean, they don't ask me my opinion. <laughs> well, I, I
3: think mean that's like, a great, that's I, a great I, I love it, man. I love that breakdown. Yeah. Like I said, I would not mind Buffalo being in the all Canadian division. Give me more Toronto Buffalo games. I just love I love the idea of that rivalry finally being renewed back in the like the yeah. late nineties when it was really at its strongest, like in early two thousands. Like, oh it was phenomenal, man. The battlefield yeah, you stop
0: playing their anthem though. Uh-huh. You guys gotta stop playing their anthem when they're not in town.
3: Yeah, I agree. Oh, I don't know,
0: man. I, I'm a big fan of that. I And maybe I'm partial as a goalie, but
2: I used to love – I can be swaying for the Canadian anthem. Oh, I loved it. I'm sorry. Man,
0: it's a great oh, anthem. Man. I mean, come on. We're, we're in the United States. Like, let's let's be real here. Like, you know, <laughs>
1: maybe
0: you know. I don't think maybe we should play try. any anthems anyway because if we're not going to play anthems for a nationality of every player on the ice, I don't know why we're doing it for just the two countries. I've always thought that was really insulting. Like, But that's me
3: yeah i just that's uh that's a good point i think though. they're, just, I love I think they're it. just trying to appeal to the canadian fan base it does come down a lot yeah. for our game yeah. and obviously yeah. it's a lot cheaper to watch a hockey game in buffalo than it is in toronto yeah. yeah um that's probably what that that's probably the angle buffalo takes with that i'd imagine you know and i, know. And,
0: I mean let's be honest i love Toronto as a city but if i'm i'm gonna go out for some adult beverages and some, some food some good food i'm, going in, I'm I mean, you know, poutine might be nice, but it ain't
3: nothing on your guys' wings. No, where do you like oh, to you go? Yeah, where, you, you sound like you, like I said, you like to go out and eat when you come to Buffalo. Where's your spot?
0: Oh, geez. You know, I, I can't say I have a spot because my general rule is I'll go wherever I think after the game, people aren't going to be. So, um... And I found that in Buffalo, the notion that you have to go to like anchor bar to get the best wings, it's just not look, No, it's not no, true. There's the best wings style. to meet at the mom and pop shop talking about. Like we're talking about Buffalo style wings. You don't have to like, um, but you know what, guys, I'm I'm 42. My days of being able to stay up that later are long gone.
3: Yes. Yeah. I, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of great places like Gabriel's gate is one of them, you yeah. know, it's not hole in the walls, but you know, people love duffs, but I am a big Gabriel's gate guy. I like, um, fire bill, which is an Easter Royal. like, honestly, honestly, if you, you know, when things open back up and you can do some traveling with the team and, you know, you get sit down, you know, make sure you give me a, give me a ring and oh, I'll yeah. take you to the spots. I, I promise you, you know, you know. It it's it, 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 one it, of the
0: great summer towns there is too i tell people like oh yeah it, great summer town
3: and it's night and day from what where it is now to what it used to be and you know it's a lot there's a, especially during like the allen uh the, the allen town uh, art festival that that's a good time around here just there's a lot of stuff that goes on in the summer and the springtime that really makes buffalo a worthwhile place to be yeah so but thanks for coming I, I, on with us rob
2: Oh yeah, yeah dude it's been awesome and, and Rob, I, I know that, it, you know, the schedule is a little bit different. Uh, we don't play Pittsburgh a, a, until I think um, maybe a, a month or two from now. Uh, would love to have you on even even just for a quick pregame, yeah, know, 15, 20-minute sure. thing. That'd be a lot of fun, man. Really appreciate your work. For all our listeners, be sure to check out Rob's work on, on The Athletic. Uh, really interesting piece, too. Um, the one you wrote right as it happened uh, on the 28th. Mario is stunned behind the scenes of Jim Rutherford shocking Pittsburgh Penguins exit. I'm a big fan of long form journalism, and you knock it out of the park. Uh, it's been really fun to, to follow along your work. And like Dwayne said, really appreciate
0: you coming on here, man. I know our fans are going to love it. Stay safe, guys, and uh, keep the flow going, buds.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. All right. <laughs> Rob Rossi, this is episode 49 of Two Rolls One Mike. Dwayne, I'm John.